Acknowledge that thinking about it is painful and feel good about yourself for being able to do it anyways. Feel it becoming less painful as you force yourself to keep thinking about it. See how good it feels to actually do something about it. Next time you start feeling that feeling, that sense of pain from deep in your head that tells you to avoid a subject, ignore it. Lean into the pain instead. This is Nashville Demystified. That was a quote from Aaron Swartz, as quoted on David Berman's blog, Menthol Mountains. Nashville Demystified is brought to you by Knack Factory, and we own this town. I should say up front, since we're talking about David Berman, we're also uh, touching on themes related to suicide. We're talking about suicide specifically. So if this is an issue that you struggle with or have struggled with in the past and you want to pass over this episode, please, please feel free to do so. I don't know what I have to offer any ongoing exchange or collective mourning about David Berman outside of the fact that I loved who I imagined who this person was. Uh, I never met him and I will miss him nonetheless. Berman was one of the first singers slash poets slash band leaders in whom I heard the whole of my own lived truth better than I felt capable of putting myself. I heard on Wednesday that Berman died at 52 and I left a dinner party I was hosting and walked numbly and aimlessly around my neighborhood until I was able to gain some traction. The Silver Jews slash Purple Mountain singer was a longtime resident of Nashville. He lived here from 1999 through 2018. Back in 2008, Berman told the Tennessean another truth that resonates with mine. This was a solid decade before Nashville became the quote, it city. And consequently, Nashvillians started to become more skeptical of such a status. He said, the greatest thing about Nashville is that it's welcoming. Nashville only thrives when talented people from out of town move here from somewhere else. There isn't the kind of provincial snobbery you get in Richmond or Charleston. Because people are from everywhere and as sophisticated as some may want the city to be, it is and has always been uncool. I love this city and I worry about how unregulated big money is about to do a number on this town and its heritage in the upcoming years. I looked through Berman's long-running blog, Menthol Mountains, to see if I could get a sense of the life he lived here in the city, though the majority of his posts often point to long passages or quotations that, presented devoid of context, are left to speak for themselves. Berman posted quite a bit in 2019 and for the later half of 2018. Before that, there's a pretty substantial gap in activity that goes back to 2015, but really 2014. There are more than a handful of nods to life in Tennessee throughout There's a real estate listing for Roy Acuff's former home, which, in the post title, he calls a great speckled birdhouse. There's a post called Nashville Predators that, instead of pointing to anything relating to hockey, is a series of articles about child predators. There's an article with the headline, Cub Scout Crawls Grave to Grave Honoring the Dead. It's about a wheelchair-bound Cub Scout who plants flags at veterans' headstones. There are a lot of posts about Johnny Paycheck, including links to music videos and articles about him and about his passing. One of the few original pieces of prose is called God and Man at Opry Mills. It goes like this. Aeronautical chainsaw, mahogany sunshield, self-healing cutting board, cardio jazz harmonica, remote control nightingale, dog food glockenspiel. In some of the few entries that actually offer context, There are a number of posts in which Berman shares a number of files and photos that portray the, quote, biggest wrestling promotion agency in the Mid-South. 
These are basically a series or a collection of promotional photos of wrestlers from the mid 20th century. Everyone is half naked, some sport boomerangs. Berman wrote the following. Once I was the early bird in the sodden basement of a shabby estate sale in West Nashville. Around the turn of the century, I came upon the internal files of Gulas Welch Wrestling Enterprises Incorporated for sale for pennies on the pound. The story of how this strange-beaked skinflint lost control of his regional wrestling circuit is one of grease and betrayal in an age of rampant scoundrelism and lurid rascality. It was a time when pro wrestlers could best be contacted via mother-in-law. Agency Rolodexes were bristling with herbs and jerrys, and regicide was legal in the state of Tennessee. A post titled Forced Antecedent-Focused Emotional Regulation, Together We Can Stop This, features the copy of an email dated November 2011, presumably in response to the unsolicited feedback offered by Berman, or we can't actually read it, it's not offered here, from a franchise manager of Moe's Southwestern Grill in the West End. David, don't feel sorry for us. It is part what makes Moe's what it is. Every Moe's in the country does it, and believe it or not, I get far more email from folks when they don't hear a hearty, welcome to Moe's, when they arrive. New stores like Vanderbilt go through a break-in period where the crew begins to feel like it is not fun, but then after a short while, they get comfortable with it, especially when they see the smiles it gives to our guests when they come in the door. After opening six stores in seven years in Nashville, I value it and expect my crews to say it, and say it with meaning and enthusiasm. It is very much a part of the Moe's experience. I hope that, knowing it is part of our culture and that we mean it when we say it, you will be able to understand why we do it and not let it irritate you too much. That's not our goal. Thank you very much for taking the time to give your feedback. I hope you will return, and if they give you a meaningful welcome, you will say, Ah, I'm at Moe's. Time for some good food. Respectfully, Scott Portis. There are a number of other posts that relate to Nashville. I'll try to link to all of them on the site so you can take a look if you care to. Beyond uh, all this ephemera about Nashville, there are also entries about what Berman was sitting and thinking about outside of the city. Many are texts related to his study of Judaism, while others are rooted in philosophy or broader spiritual practice. There are some posts which are just long lists of links to other posts, papers, and articles. One links to an academic paper called Gender, Race, Class, and Region in Female Country Music, 1980 to 1989, while others link to other papers and other studies. Uh, one is called Red Hut Chili Consumption is Harmful and Patients Operated for Anal Fissure, a Randomized Double-Blind Controlled Study. The following posts, which appear in full text on Berman's blog as opposed to links off-site, piqued my interest in the context of both his life and his death. The following comes from Dennis Johnson. It was featured in Plowshares in the winter of 2010. The trees leaning into one another, green and horrible. The sun setting at the end of the street. The birds' voices of despair and lust. Even a fool could tell you what this is all about. How one person sits in his car and waits, and the air thickens and browns, pollen and dust. The world is sick of itself, sitting in its car watching all of this. All I do anymore in my poems is show off, now that I've started, acting like someone hot and recognizable, selling big diamonds to the flattered earth. And I don't know who's talking. Am I talking? Can it be me? Fat, ugly-hearted saying. What am I saying? What am I worth? 
On the month that activist, programmer, and reluctant entrepreneur took his own life, Berman posted the following post from Aaron Swartz, in which Swartz was meditating on a section from Ray Dalio's book, Principles. What's something you've been avoiding thinking about? It can be anything. A relationship difficulty, a problem at work, something on your to-do list you've been avoiding. Call it to mind despite the pain it brings and just sort of let it sit there. Acknowledge that thinking about it is painful and feel good about yourself for being able to do it anyways. Feel it becoming less painful as you force yourself to keep thinking about it. See, you're getting stronger. Okay, take a break. But when you're ready, come back to it and start thinking of concrete things you can do about it. See how it's not as scary as you thought? See how good it feels to actually do something about it? Next time you start feeling that feeling, that sense of pain from deep in your head that tells you to avoid a subject, ignore it. Lean into the pain instead. Then there is a link to a Scientific American blog post about what happens in the mind of a suicidal person as they are experiencing the impulse. As I've noted, it was rare for Berman to offer personal context for many of his posts. For this article, however, he wrote, please read this excellent article, especially if there is a suicidally depressed person within your circle of concern. Proceeding a list of factors typical to a person in a suicidal state, the author writes, it is essential to recognize that most suicides are driven by a flash flood of strong emotions, not rational philosophical thoughts in which the pros and cons are evaluated critically. I really can't emphasize enough uh, that if you're not familiar with Menthol Mountains or if you've not checked it out recently, uh, it is so well worth spending some time with, even though you don't get a lot directly from Berman himself. You see and read what he was into and surrounding himself with, and it is equal parts um, quirky, (laughs) uh, funny, strange, weird, dark, uh, hard, it brings to mind all the feelings that I ever had or and will continue to have listening to the Silver Jews and surrounding myself with that universe. You can you know, feel deeply moved one minute and laugh out loud multiple times the next. And you wonder you know, how someone saw the world like this. And then you remember that you kind of see the world like this. <laughs> and you're grateful that that person exists. So anyway, this is the last thing I'm going to share. Um, it's on the darker end, but it uh, it feels like it shows where Berman could and would go. Um, it's a fable. While on a journey, Zhuang Zhe found a skull, dry and parched. With sorrow, he questioned and lamented the end to all things. When he finished speaking, he dragged the skull over, and using it as a pillow, lay down to sleep. In the night, the skull came to his dreams and said, You are a fool to rejoice in the entanglements of life. Zhuang Zhe couldn't believe this and asked, If you could return to your life, you would want that, wouldn't you? Stunned by Zhuang Zhe's foolishness, the skull replied, How do you know that it is bad to be dead? David Berman, songwriter, poet, and literary hero to many, died on August 7th, 2019, 
He was 52 years old. I'm grateful for all that he gave to us. This is Nashville Demystified. I'm Alex Steed. I want to thank Michael Yeeds and Carolyn Kendrick for helping to read passages throughout this episode. Um, extra, extra substantial thanks to Jesse LaFontaine, uh, who deals with all things sound on these episodes. And uh, I think he did a phenomenal job making this episode sound as it should. And thank you to Tim Burns, uh, who makes custom illustrations for each of our episodes or most of our episodes. And, uh, the one he did for David Berman is, uh, is extraordinary. I really appreciate it. National Demystified is brought to you by Knack Factory and we own this town. I look forward to talking with you all next week.